Perfect Stranglers contains graphic and explicit content suitable for mature listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, welcome to Perfect Stranglers. This is Kylie. And I'm Bree. And what's poppin'? <laughs> Brand new whip just hopped in. What? <laughs> you did not miss a beat there. <laughs> so much uh you look okay i that reminds me you're on tiktok right yeah well yeah i am okay when i say you're on tiktok i mean you use tiktok to scroll right you post tiktoks yes i don't post so have you seen the yeah have you seen the um the two guys who do remixes one of them is of pony and toxic by britney spears I've heard that remix, but I don't know the, I don't know the guys. Okay. I don't, I don't know the guys either, but yeah, I definitely hear that remix and I see people doing like making TikToks to it. I downloaded SoundCloud just to listen to that remix. It's a good remix. It is so good. It is really good. And apparently it's like actually charting. Really? Yeah, it's like actually charting and shit. That's yeah. awesome. So, but here's my thing that's really bothering me is they've done, they do pony remixes. If you guys don't know Genuine Pony, the Magic Mike, circling it back to last last episode of Magic Mike. Um, but they did one, S&M by Rihanna and then Pony, Womanizer and Pony. And I think they did Only Girl in the World from Rihanna and Pony. And I was hoping that they would have all of those available, but they don't. They hmm. only have freaking toxic, which is great. But I'm like, you guys really need to make all of these available because this is why I'm here. I did not download SoundCloud just to listen to your one. Please put the rest of them on there because they're so good. Yeah. Ugh, I I love it. I love a good remix, but I don't like super techno-y remixes where it's just like, you know, right. electronic music. Right. No, I want the two songs working together in harmony that I can actually dance to, not just yeah. throw a glow stick around to. Yes. Um, coming to mind right now, my uh, amazing remix is by <clears throat> Zafoon Jones. And it is a remix of uh, MGMT. Um, um, gosh, what is it? It's ki- Kids by mgmt i believe and is this love by bob marley it's a very you should link it in the i should i will it's very interesting and it's really chill and it's really cool i don't know i'll find it on youtube and we can link it up our favorite remixes the stranglers favorite remixes Oh, wouldn't that be cool if we had a, a Strangler Spotify playlist of all of our favorite songs? Oh, my God. We should. Should we do that? I wonder what music our, our Stranglers listen to. I wonder if there's any weird ones out there. Because, like, I frequent Sad Mom music. Like, Beach Bunny <laughs> is one of my favorites. Sad Mom. Joji is good. I call it Sad Mom Indie Music. I don't so much listen to that anymore. I listen to a lot of country and twerking music. Very different. All over the place, you guys. Okay. <laughs> and a lot of Viking war chants. My my Spotify on repeat is just a mess. Yeah. It looks like I have a personality disorder. <laughs>
That's what it looks like. Like one of your altars is going to listen or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's like. (gasps) Sorry, this, see, just thought of this. I watched a horror movie. Oh, tell us about it. I'm very proud of it. Okay. (laughs) I watched two of them so far. I was kind of convinced to do it in not a very convincing manner. I just like did it to spend time with someone. Um, But also like I kind of wanted to be a little bit scared because I feel like I want to dabble in it a little bit Uh and see if I've gotten over that fear. Yeah. Like exposure therapy. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and because like Julia likes horror movies too and the last time I went with her I screamed in the theater so I feel like I need to get better. I don't know many reasons so first we watched the conjuring 2 now the conjuring is about edna lorraine warren you know and so i already know the basis of the stories from the real things that happened Mm -hmm. like i already know what i know the real cases so i could it was nice because i could kind of know a little bit of what was actually going to happen right so that eased my mind a little bit i knew the i knew the general overarching storyline Watch The Conjuring 2. There is, I definitely watched through my fingers for a lot of it. I screamed twice. <laughs> and so that was really good for me. And then the next time we were going to watch another one and we were like scrolling through Netflix or whatever and we came across The Conjuring and I was like, okay, well, I've never seen The Conjuring. And they're like, what? We just watched the second one. And I was like, I know do you have to watch them in succession? He's like, well, to know like the Warrens and stuff. I was like, I already know the Warrens. I already know about Annabelle and their room of all of the things. Okay. But like, listen. Wow. Do they not know who they're talking to? Of course, you know, the freaking Warrens. (laughs) They know. He, he knew. They definitely knew. They definitely knew that I knew. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely knew. It's just, you don't normally watch movies out of order, but we did in this point. Yeah. Anyway, in, so yeah, we watched the first Conjuring. I screamed it a number of times. It was much scarier than the first one or than the second one. Really? Like, in yeah, I thought so. And it was it was funny because they were um, Lorraine Warren in the movie was walking up and they were talking about how the door kept on knocking in threes. And yeah. Ed was well, Ed was like, "Does the door keep knocking in going in threes? And I was like, "Yeah, it's the mocking of the Holy Trinity." Like two seconds later, Lorraine goes, I think it was Lorraine. She goes, yeah, the mocking of the Holy Trinity. And I was like, see, never seen the movie, but I could tell you what they're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that was better because I, I knew exactly what the case was again. Um, But yeah, uh, the anxiety was high. I took off my, my first time we watched when I had my Apple watch on my wrist and my heart rate. I looked at my heart rate the next day and I was like, oh, she was a little high there. Yeah. She was a little high. <laughs> The second time, the second movie, I did not have my watch on because I was like, we don't need my watch to think I'm having a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> but I did it. I watched two horror movies, you guys. Nice. Good for you. I was proud. Thank you. I'm still a little bitch. Don't get it twisted. But so maybe we'll... just like a little bit less of a little bitch. Okay. Will, will there yeah. be any more horror movie watching in the future? I don't know. TBD. Okay. TBD. Um, yeah. Should we get into, uh, the actual story here? Because it's a part two of Ed Kemper. Yeah. And it's going to be a lot. Yeah. Should we, uh, I'm going to make you do, um, housekeeping. 
Okay. Without a script. Okay. Okay. All right, Stranglers. Uh, so here's here's the deal. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to us. And please also leave us a rating. Um, when you do these things, it helps other people find us and you know other fans of of the uh of the genre helps us get seen helps us move up in uh in the charts where we want to be also what we would like is for you to share us with your family and friends we want to uh we want to engage with you on our social media so please visit our social media we have instagram twitter and facebook you can also submit your true scary stories to us. Uh, like, you know, have you seen Bigfoot? Have you seen a ghost? Uh, did something weird matrix glitchy happen to you? Uh, we want to hear those things. So please send us a message on our DM us on Instagram uh, or Facebook, or you can also email us. Our email is contact at perfectstranglers.com. Also, please check out our website. It is perfectstranglers.com. Beautiful. We got it together. We circled around. We pulled it out. Yep. Good job. Proud of you. Proud of you. All right. Should we get into it? Yep. Tell me about Ed Kemper. Okay. Ed the Kemper. This is part story. two. Ed Kemper. We're going to do a quick, too long, didn't read, didn't listen version of part one. I'm going to give you a little recap and then we'll get into the um, the fun stuff. So Ed Kemper III was born in Burbank, California, December 18th, 1948, to a bitch named Clarnell and a <laughs> man named Edmund Kemper Jr. Uh, he had a really shitty childhood. His mom was really domineering, an alcoholic, possible borderline personality disorder, shamed him for basically existing in the world. His parents divorced when he was in second grade. His dad stayed in California, later remarried while his mother and two sisters and him moved into Montana. In Montana was where his dark side reared its ugly head and he started to dabble in serial killer maker activity. Um, from stalking his second grade teacher with a bayonet, whom he had a crush on and said he'd have to kill if he wanted to kiss her, to killing family cats and decapitating them, putting a head on a stick he called an altar, and hiding their body parts in closets. He was the child that you knew was going to grow into something truly terrifying. In his middle school years, he was a staggering 6'4", grew to be 6'9", 300 pounds into adulthood. Once he had enough abuse by his mom, he uh, wandered down to California um, to find his dad and to live with him. Though he did find his dad and his dad's new family, he didn't live there long because his stepmom found him to be incredibly freaking creepy. So Ed was sent to live with his paternal grandparents who, according to Ed, his, were just as bad as his mom, especially his grandma. They were patriarchal women raised by or matriarchal women raised by matriarchal women. He didn't like that. So he did what he had to do and he killed his grandparents. The grandma first by shooting her in the back of the head and then the back after an argument. And then he killed his grandpa because he wouldn't want grandpa to see grandma dead. And uh, he called the cops on himself after his mom told him to. He spent the remainder of his teen years in a psychiatric hospital where they found that he was incredibly intelligent, had a near genius IQ of 140, which we think he downplayed to seem less intelligent than he actually is. Um, 
and he was later released as a new and reformed man. His juvenile record was also expunged because they thought, you know what, this kid is good to go, he's smart, he's well-spoken, no problems for him in the future. He's golden. He fooled them. Yeah, he got a job at the Highway Department Agency in California once he moved back there after his arrest and incarceration. Um, And then when he was released from that hospital, he was sent to live with his mom. His mom also then moved to California. Uh, It was here where he started hanging out at the cop bar called the jury room since he wanted to be a state trooper, but couldn't, couldn't because he was too damn tall. Uh, He started also to hunt for his prey. It was at this time Ed began seeing that there were a lot of pretty, pretty girls hitchhiking. And you know what? Maybe he was the one that needed to give them a ride is what he thought. So he did. Ed estimated that he picked up about 150 hitchhikers and let them go without any harm um, before getting sexually homicidal urges that he referred to as, quote, little zapples. Rhymes with apples. In uh, 1974, in a crime magazine, reported him as saying, At first, I pick up girls just to talk to them, just to try and get acquainted with people of my own age, to try and strike up a friendship. But he told police that he started to have sexual fantasies about his passengers, as well as being worried he would be convicted of rape. He added, I decided to mix the two and have a situation of rape and murder and no witnesses and no prosecution. So... That is Ed Kemper from birth up until May 7th, 1972. All right. All right. Let's get into it. So we're going to talk about the murders. So his first two victims, Mary Ann. Okay. Her last name is P-E-S-C-E. Pesh? Pesh? Mm-hmm. Pesh. Pesh? Probably. Okay. We're going to say Pesh. Mary Ann Pesh and Anita Luchessa. On May 7th, 1972, Kemper was driving in Berkeley, California, when he picked up two 18-year-old hitchhiking students from Fresno State University, uh, Marianne Pesch and Anita Mary Luchessa, um, with a pretense of taking them to Stanford University. So after driving for about an hour, they wound up in a secluded wooded area near Alameda, California, um, that he knew very well due to his job on the highway department. Because like I said, he would drive around and he knew the area and where to hide people incredibly well. Um, because that's kind of why he got the highway department job, to be honest, I think. And he managed to drive there without the two ladies even recognizing that he had changed the directions and were going off course of where they actually needed to go. Once there, he handcuffed Pesch and locked Luchessa in the trunk. He then stabbed and strangled Pesch to death before doing the same to Luchessa. Kemper later confessed that while handcuffing Pesch, he said he, quote, brushed the back of his hand against one of her breasts and it embarrassed him. He added saying that he said, whoops, I'm sorry, or something like that. Okay. So, you know what this, this, go with me on this. Okay. You know how you can have sex without sexual intimacy or non-sexual intimacy? Okay. Like you can have sex but not cuddle. You know what I mean? Because that makes people uncomfortable. Okay. I feel like he can do the same with killing. He can kill, but he can't have 
touch an intimate area of someone. Like he couldn't hit someone because that was too intimate. He couldn't brush against the boob because that was too intimate. So he could do the main act, but not anything intimate relating to touch. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, it yeah. kind of sounds so like he was in like um, emotionally, definitely emotionally neglected as a child. Mm-hmm. So this is not yep. something he's um, that's normal or comfortable for him. Um, just he likely never got comforted as a kid, like physically comforted. Right. So he was embarrassed by that. Um, so, uh, Kemper put both of the women's bodies in the trunk after he killed them, um, in the trunk of his Ford galaxy and returned to his apartment. He was stopped on the way to his apartment by a police officer for having a broken taillight. But the officer didn't do a search. There was no reason to. He just had a broken taillight. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the officer was clueless as to what was actually in the trunk at that time. So Kemper lived with a roommate. The roommate was not home. He took the bodies into the apartment. He photographed them, had sex with their naked corpses before dismembering them. He put the body parts into plastic bags, which he later took to a location near Loma Prieta Mountain in California. Um, before disposing of Pesha's and Luchessa's severed heads in a ravine, so he also decapitated them. Kemper engaged in irumatio with both of them. So I, <laughs> I googled this. Yeah, that's a new one for me. I don't know what that means. Yep. Um, scared to know. Irumatio is a form of oral sex where someone thrusts their penis into someone else's mouth in contrast to fellatio where the penis is being actively orally excited by the fellatiator. The difference lies mainly in which part takes the active part. So basically, he had sex with their severed heads. Mm-hmm. With their, pry their mouths open and, yep. Okay. I tried, I wanted to put that as at least dehumanizing as possible. Yeah. So we're going to use the word irumatio during this podcast. Okay. Because I'm not going to say, yeah, we're just going to say that. Okay. Okay. That's what that means. So um, in August of that year, Pesha's skull was found on Loma Prita Mountain. An extensive search failed to turn up any um, any other body parts, no remains or a trace of Luchessa or any evidence at this point as to who did this and why. Next, we have Aiko Ku. On the evening of September 14th of 1972, Kemper picked up 15-year-old Aiko, Aiko Ku. Um, she was a dance student. And she had decided to hitchhike to dance class after missing her bus. So Big mistake. I feel like that, that obviously would never happen nowadays. It still blows my mind that hitchhiking was a thing. Mm-hmm. She must have really you know? wanted to get a dance class because if I missed the bus, I'd I be know. like, shit. Well, yeah. guess I get to go watch TV now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I would never, ever think of doing that. So... Kemper again drove with her to a remote area where he pulled a gun on Ku before accidentally locking himself out of the car. So we have a situation. Yes. He has described himself as a bumblebutt, which is like a fumbly, like dopey yeah. guy. Like he's like, oh, I'm such a bumblebutt. Just yeah. like he's a he's a big dope. Yeah. An intelligent big dope, basically. 
So we have a situation where we have a small, she was Asian, so she was likely very tiny. Yeah. And she was a dancer, so again, likely very tiny human being. A 15-year-old girl who has a six foot nine, 300-pound man trying to overpower her murderer, murder her, and she is locked in a car with the keys and the kidnapper's gun while the kidnapper is outside of the car. Okay. So the odds are in her favor at this point. 110% in her favor. She had every opportunity to escape. However, she let him back inside. Oh my, what? what she what? didn't do a damn thing. What? He convinced her to let her back inside. You know how we talked about in the Jerry Brudos case where that girl had every opportunity to escape after she had been chained up? Mm-hmm. And she like got down and she just sat in a corner waiting for Jerry to come back? Yeah. Fight, flight, or freeze. This girl, 15-year-old, probably didn't know how to drive a car, but also just, I feel bad for her because how terrified could you, how terrified would you have bet had, had, have to have been to let him back in? Yeah. You know what I mean? You had to have been so terrified that you had, didn't think of any other thing to do but let him back in. Like, that's scary. So, um... She had every opportunity to escape, but she let him back inside, despite the fact that she, again, even had the gun. Uh, Once inside the car, Kemper choked her until she was unconscious, um, raped her, and then killed her. He placed her body into the trunk of his car and went to a nearby bar, likely the jury room, and uh, had a few drinks and then returned to his apartment. He went to that bar um, to get details likely on the search for the murder later on. He got a thrill and an ego boost out of hearing them talk about him, even though they had no idea they were talking about Big Ed. He could hear it, Mm -hmm. and he got a lot of intel that way. He uh, later confessed that after exiting the bar, he opened the trunk of his car, quote, admiring his catch like a fisherman. Back at his apartment, he had sex with a corpse dismembered and disposed of the remains in a similar manner to the two previous ladies um ko's mother called the police to report the disappearance of her daughter put up hundreds of flyers asking for information but didn't receive a single lead next we have cindy cindy shawl so on january 7th of 1973 kemper who had moved back in with his mother at this point he would move in and out of his mother's house because he struggled with money Mm -hmm. throughout this entire thing um so, moved back to his mother. He was driving around the Cabrillo, Cabrillo, it has to be Cabrillo College? Cabrillo College. It's probably Cabrillo. That campus. It's two L's. Cabrillo, yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's what I'm thinking, yep. Campus, when he picked up 18-year-old student Cynthia Ann Cindy Shaw, he drove to a wooded area, fatally shot her with a 22 caliber pistol. When he placed her body in the trunk of his car, um, he drove to his mother's house, where he kept um, Cindy's body hidden in a closet in his room overnight. When his mom left for work the next morning, he had sex with and removed the bullet from Shaw's corpse. Um, and then he dismembered her and decapitated her in his mother's bathtub. Yuck. Kemper kept Shaw's several Kemper kept Shaw's severed head for several days, regularly regularly engaging in iromatio with it then buried it in his mother's garden. But what he did is he took the head, turned it upwards, so um, in his mom's garden, Cindy's head was facing upward towards his mother's bedroom, which was symbolic um, for Ed, 
after his arrest, he stated that he did this because his mother, quote, always wanted people to look up to her. Oh, okay. So he ended up discarding the rest of Shaw's remains by throwing them off of a cliff. Over the course of the following few weeks, all except her head and her right hand were discovered and pieced together. A pathologist determined that Shaw had been cut into pieces with a power saw. Yuck. I don't know where he got the power saw from. I'm assuming he just like obviously had one laying around. Yeah. I don't know how you clean up. But unless he did it in the bathtub. He had to have done it in the bathtub. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So then we have Rosalind Thorpe and Allison Liu. On February 5th, 1973, after a heated argument with his mom, Kemper left, Kemper left his house in search of possible victims because this was his way of de-escalating after an argument, especially with his mom. Uh, with heightened suspicion of a serial killer preying on hitchhikers in the Santa Cruz area, and there were multiple killers roaming the streets at this time, he would actually be imprisoned with one later on that he would torment. Um, students were advised to accept rides only from cars with university stickers on them uh, to try and be safe. Wow. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Well, lucky for Ed, his mom happened to work at the university. <laughs> so he easily got a sticker. So kids are easily trusting him. So while on the prowl, he came across 23-year-old Rosalind Heather Thorpe and 20-year-old Alice Helen a.k.a. Allison, Lou, on the campus. According to Kemper, Thorpe entered his car first, reassuring Lou to also enter. He then uh, first fatally shot Thorpe and then Lou with his 22 caliber pistol and wrapped their bodies in blankets. Kemper again brought his victims back to his mom's house. This time, he beheaded them in his car and carried the headless corpses into his mother's house to have sex with them. He then dismembered their bodies, removed the bullets to prevent identification, and discarded the remains the next morning. Some remains were found at Eden Canyon a week later, and more were found near Highway 1 in March of that year, 1973. When questioned in an interview um, as to why he decapitated his victims, he explained, The head trip fantasies were a bit like a trophy. You know, the head is where everything is at. The brains, eyes, mouth. That's the person. I remember being told as a kid, you cut off the head, the body dies. The body is nothing after the head is cut off. Well, that's not quite true. There's a lot left in the girl's body without the head. Ew. Everything had some type of symbolance for him. Everything was symbolic that he did. So then we have our final two victims. <clears throat> Clarnell, Kemper, Strandberg, and Sally Holt. Hallett. So this is what happened. On April 20th, 1973, after coming home from a party, Ed's 52-year-old mother, whom he was living with, Clarnell Elizabeth Strandberg, woke up as Ed was coming home while sitting in her bed reading a book. So I believe after he woke her up by being in the house, she noticed Kemper entered her room and said, um, he said to her, or sorry, no, she said to him, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. And Kemper replied, no. Good night. So it sounds like she was sleeping. She woke up due to him making noise, decided, hey, I'm up. I'm going to read a book. While she was reading, he popped in. They had that brief interaction, and then he exited the room. He then waited for his mom to fall back asleep. He then snuck back into her room, bludgeoned her with a claw hammer, and slit her throat with a penknife. 
He then decapitated her, engaged in irumatio with his mother's severed head, then used it as a dartboard. Kemper stated that he, quote, put her head on a shelf and screamed at it for an hour, then threw darts at it and smashed her face in. Wow. A lot of anger. Yeah. Clearly more anger than any of the others. Absolutely. Yeah. He also cut out her tongue and larynx and put them in the garbage disposal. However, the garbage disposal could not break down the tough vocal cords and it ejected the tissue back into the sink. Kemper later said that seemed appropriate as much as she'd bitched and screamed and yelled at me over the many years. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Symbolic. So, yeah. Symbolic. Yeah. So, which speaks to his intelligence. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Uh-huh. So, Kem, you're holding your neck. Yeah. I'm like, no, please. <laughs> yeah. Please. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. So, Kemper then hid his mom's corpse in a closet and went out to a drink at the, likely the jury room, mm-hmm. that bar, where his cop buddies hung out. When he returned home, he invited his mom's best friend, 59-year-old Sarah Taylor, a.k.a. Sally Hallett, over to the house to have dinner and watch a movie. And I'm like... Excuse me. I just burped. Sorry. I'm like, did you <laughs> like, did you regularly talk to your mom's friends? Were you like, you know, happy Ed who was like chummy with the mom's friends? Like, did she feel comfortable with that? Or was she like, OK, this is weird. He's creepy. I better do this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So she he invited her over for dinner and a movie uh, and she arrived. So when Hallett arrived, Kemper strangled her to death. Um, to create a cover story that his mom and Hallett had gone away together on vacation. Once strangled to death, he put Hallett's corpse in a closet, fixed any noticeable signs of a struggle or disturbance um, in the house, and left a note for police. So the note read, Approximately 5.15 a.m. Saturday. No need for her to suffer any more at the hands of this horrible, quote, murderous butcher. It was quick, asleep, the way I wanted it. Not sloppy or incomplete, gents. Just a, quote, lack of time. I got things to do with three exclamation points. Oh, oh God. Okay. So so he was, like, parodying himself. Yeah. Basically. Oh, my God. So after... Weird, right? Really weird. Like it's weird. Yeah. So afterwards, Kemper fled the scene. He drove nonstop um, to Pueblo... Pueblo, Colorado, taking caffeine pills to stay awake for the over 1,000-mile trek. He had three guns, hundreds of rounds of ammunition in his car, and believed that he was the target of an active manhunt at this point. But he was not. He was just paranoid. Like, no one really expected him. So it was like his ego being, ooh, I bet they're chasing after me right now. Yeah. It reminded me of, you know, how that person always thinks people are bad-talking them. Yeah. Because they just like want to be talked about, but yeah. really no one gives a fuck. Right. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. So after not hearing any news on the radio about the murders of his mom and Hallett when he arrived in Pueblo, he is like, Okay, I need to someone needs to know about this. I need these I need the attention. So he found a phone booth and called the police. Um so he was Uh, When as he was on the phone, he confessed to the murders of his mom and Hallett, but the police didn't take his call seriously. They told him to call back at a later time, (laughs) several hours later. What? Yeah. Yeah. They're like, okay, bud, call back later. We got other shit to do. Huh. All All right. right. It's so weird. Okay. Uh, Several. I wish that call would have been recorded. Yeah, for real. Because I wonder what it sounded like. 
from the cop's end. Several hours later, Kemper called again, asking to speak to an officer he personally knew because of the jury room. So he wasn't calling the Colorado police. He was calling the California police at the phone booth. Uh, He confessed to that officer killing his mom in Hallett and then waited for the police to arrive and take him into custody. Sorry, custody. Um, Once he was in custody, he confessed to the murders of the other six students. Uh, When later asked in an interview of why he turned himself in, he said, quote, the original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real emotional purpose. It was just a pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it much longer. Towards the end there, I started feeling the folly of the whole damn thing. And at the point of near exhaustion, near collapse, I just said to hell with it and called it off. So he knew his limit. I know we're talking about murder, but he knew his limit. Hmm. Which, again, speaks to the intelligence of this person. Like, he emotionally knew that he was done and physically knew he was done. Well... Which is so interesting to me. When you kill the person who caused all of this... Caused it. Like, turmoil and, you know, mental torture he within reached, him. Yeah. He reached the final boss. You know, yeah. Basically. In the video game. He reached the final boss. Yeah. yeah. Huh. So, um, all in... Yeah. So all in all, between May 72 and April 73, 11 months, Kemper killed eight people, five college students, one high school student, his mom and his mom's bestie. Kemper stated in interviews that he often searched for victims after having arguments with his mom and that she refused to introduce him to women attending the university where she worked. He recalled, um, he said, she would say, you're just like your father. You don't deserve to get to know them. Talking about the women. So psychiatrists and Kemper himself have accepted the belief that the young women were surrogates for the ultimate target, his mom, like we just said. Right. Um, So the trial, Kemper was indicted of eight counts of first-degree murder on May 7th of 1973. He was assigned uh, chief public defender of Santa... He was assigned the chief public defender of Santa Cruz County, attorney Jim Jackson. However, due to Kemper's incredibly honest and detailed, very explicit confession, his counsel's only option was really to plead guilty or sorry, to plead not guilty by reason of insanity to the charges. It's also noted that he did attempt suicide twice while in custody. The trial officially started on October 23rd of 1973. Three coroner-appointed psychiatrists found Kemper to actually be legally sane, so his insanity plea didn't hold. One of the psychiatrists, Dr. Joel Fort, combed his juvenile records and the diagnosis that he was once psychotic. Um, Fort also interviewed Kemper, including under truth serum. Truth serum serum is actually a really, like, real thing. It's a psychoactive drug used to, as it says, Uh, gain information from subjects who are unable or unwilling to provide it otherwise there are a lot of different kinds of drugs that are used as truth serum or that fall into this category Um, and uh, dr joel fort told the court that kemper had engaged in cannibalism alleging that he sliced flesh from the legs victims and then cooked them and consumed these strips of flesh in a casserole as well Um, Even with this information, Fort determined that Kemper was fully cognizant in each case and stated that Kemper enjoyed the possibility of the infamy associated with being labeled a murderer. 
Um, the term serial killer had not been created yet. Kemper will be the one who really creates that term by like association of who he talks to in the future. But at this point, he was just a murderer, not serial killer. Uh, Kemper did later recant the confession of cannibalism because he confessed that while under truth serum. So California used the, I believe it's pronounced Mignaton standard, which held that for a defendant to establish a defense on the ground of insanity, it must be clearly proved that at the time of committing the act, the party accused was laboring under such a defect of reason from the disease of the mind and not know the nature and quality of the act he was doing. Or if he did know it, that he did not know what he was doing was, he did not know that what he was doing was wrong. Well, Kemper knew exactly what he was doing. Um, and he had shown, he knew the nature of his acts. He knew it was wrong and he had shown signs of malice afterthought. So he knew the full extent and the trouble that he could get into for doing all of this. And he knew why he was doing it. So November 1st, Kemper took the stand. He testified that he killed the victims because he wanted them for myself, like possessions, is what he said, and attempted to convince the jury that he was insane based on their reasoning that his actions could have been committed only by someone with an aberrant mind. He said that two beings inhabited his body and that when the killer personality took over, it was kind of like blacking out, which I, one... Yes, you are insane for killing people, but that's a knowledgeable insanity. Like, you know that you're insane. The fact that you can even say that shows that you know what's up. And also, kind of like blacking out. Like, when you hit an adrenaline rush, you kind of black out. Mm -hmm. So, Kemper, that's your reasoning. You should know that you're a genius. Um, On November 8th of 1973, the six-man, six-women jury deliberated for five hours before declaring Kemper sane for all of the murders and guilty on all counts. He asked for the death penalty, requesting death by torture. What? However, uh, capital punishment um, was not a thing. There was a a whole place on capital punishment by the Supreme Court of California at that time so he instead received seven years to life for each count uh these terms were to be served concurrently and was sentenced to the california medical facility so um concurrently means that it's a type of sentence where the judges are able to give defendants convicted of more than one crime so instead of serving each sentence one after the other so 7 14 21 28 that type of thing um a concurrent sentence allows the defendant to serve all of their sentences at the same time where the longest period of time is controlled. So he got seven years to life. So he could have served only seven years for these. Yeah. And that's it. Which seems grossly inappropriate. Yeah, for sure. It should have been life with no possibility of parole is what it really should have been. Yeah. But nope. Nope. So in the California medical facility, Kemper was incarcerated in the same prison block as other notorious criminals. Herbert Mullen and Charles Manson were two of them. Kemper really did not like Mullen. So Mullen was the other serial killer wandering around Santa Cruz at the exact same time as Kemper was. Yep. Yep. Which he was another. He was awful. He was. We should do an episode on him because he was. uh, He was a lot. 
He described Mullen as just a cold-blooded killer, killing everybody he saw for no good reason. Kemper manipulated and physically intimidated Mullen, who is only 5'9". Um, Kemper said Mullen had a habit of singing and bothering people when someone tried to watch TV. So Kemper said, quote, I threw water on him to shut him up. Then when he was a good boy, I gave him peanuts. Herbie liked peanuts. That was effective because pretty soon he asked permission to sing. That's called behavior modification treatment. (laughs) Wow. He was hot. Kemper was so fucking smart. Wow. So fucking smart. If he wouldn't have been a serial killer, he would have probably been really good in law enforcement, like profiling people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he really would have. Absolutely. So Kemper is, cr- is still alive. He is alive and well. Really? Ish. And kicking. Yeah, he is very alive. Oh. How old is he? Yeah. Um, he was born in 48, 58, 68, 78, 98, 2008, 18, 64, right? 64? 70. No, or 74. 74. Math is hard. 74, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> math is so hard, guys. So Kemper is currently in Gen Pop prison and is considered a model prisoner. He was in charge of scheduling other inmates' appointments with psychiatrists in this prison as well and was an accomplished craftsman of ceramic cups. Oh. When he was first incarcerated, though, and this is a fun fact, as someone who avidly listens to audiobooks, he was known for his audiobooks. He has a very deep, clear voice, is incredibly well-spoken. Therefore, one of his jobs was to read audiobooks for the blind, because like audiobooks weren't commonplace back then. Mm-hmm. Like we listened to them daily. That wasn't a thing back then. Um, a 1987 Los Angeles Times article stated that he was the coordinator of the prison's program and had personally spent over 5,000 hours narrating books with several hundred completed recordings to his name. He was retired from these positions, all of these working positions, in 2015 after he experienced a stroke as a, and was declared um, mentally or sorry, medically disabled. He received his first rules violation report in 2016 for failing to provide a urine sample. And that seems to be really his only in-prison slap on the wrist ever was he didn't provide a urine sample and that's it. So he's like very by the book, like a good prisoner. Everyone likes him. He just so happens to have a dark side where he's a fucking awful monster of a human being murderer who did horrible things. Yeah. I wonder uh, he's always been very if he Go would ahead. sorry my dog is snoring um I wonder if he would have like killed again I mean I know he did kill the the mother's friend you know afterwards but he didn't really like he just kind of killed her and then stuffed her in the closet he didn't really like like uh desecrate her corpse or anything like that um, yeah, and he did it to set up a story. Exactly. Like, it was for, like, a specific reason. Like, I wonder if he was out of prison, if he would continue to kill or not because the subject of all of his inner turmoil, I mean, he's maybe, I don't know if he feels vindicated enough by that. Like, I wonder if he yeah. would be killing again or if he would just be... I don't know. Like, fine with it, because he, he beat the final boss. Right. Yeah. We'll kind of get into it, but I did think of that, because he, he he killed his whole point of doing right. all of this. Right. You know? 
So um, Kemper has, like we said, always been very chatty. He's participated in many, many interviews, including a segment in the 1982 documentary, The Killing of America, as well as an appearance in a 1984 documentary called Murder, No Apparent Motive. But notably, his interviews have been an integral contribution to the understanding of the mind of serial killers. FBI profiler John Douglas, we mentioned Douglas, I think in this episode, or maybe last episode, previous episode, um, John Douglas, we mentioned him when it came to the McDonald triad and like bedwetting and all of that. Um, He described Kemper as, quote, among the brightest prison inmates he interviewed and capable of rare insight for a violent criminal. So John Douglas and his research laid the pavement for understanding what we know today about serial offenders. Um, The show is on Netflix. It's fantastic, but it is nothing compared to the book. It is, the book is so good. It's long, but it's really good. And I think I've talked about it before. So I highly recommend reading it if you're into true crime, um, because John Douglas and his his partners have interviewed literally all of the heavy hitters we all know about to gain actual understanding as to why they did what they did. Specifically, the book details Douglas's um, criminal personality profiling on serial killers and mass murderers. Um, he developed that over like decades of interviews with um, the serial killers roaming three during like free during like the seventies, late eighties, and nineties. So. He, the book includes actual profiles, like chap- full and chapters profiles of uh, Wayne Williams, Ed Kemper, Robert Hansen, Dennis Rader, Jerry Brudos, um, Larry Gein, uh, sorry, Larry Jean Bell. Um, they talk about Ed Gein in it as well, just to name a few. And um, the details of the book also lay out steps for law enforcement to lure these people into police for capture. Hmm. So... It's such a good book, you guys. Hmm. Highly, if you're even like remotely into true crime, you need to read it, basically, is what I'm telling you. Um, so Kemper says that he participated in so many interviews to save others like himself from killing. At the end of his uh, Murder No Apparent Motive interview, he said, there's somebody out there that is watching this and hasn't done that, hasn't killed people, and wants to, and rages inside and struggles with that feeling, or is so sure they have it under control, they need to talk to somebody about it. Trust anybody enough to sit down and talk about something that isn't a crime. Thinking that way isn't a crime. Doing it isn't just a crime. It's a horrible thing. It doesn't know when to kit, and it can't be stopped easily once it starts. So he used his experiences and his fucked up mind to warn people, like, if you're like me, you need help. Yeah. Um. Hmm. So, like we said, he got seven years to life with the possibility of parole. Parole has been um, a roller coaster. He was first eligible parole in 79, and then 80, 81, and 82, which were all denied. He then waived his rights to a hearing in 85. He was denied parole once again at his 1988 hearing where he said, Society is not ready in any shape or form for me. I can't fault them for that. So essentially, essentially, he has been given the opportunity for parole, and it's either always denied or waived because, one, he doesn't believe that he should be let out, and he's been very vocal that he shouldn't be let out, and two, the state also doesn't think that he should let out. So they're both on the same track with, like, Ed's like, I, you don't want me out in the public, and the state's like, yeah, we don't want you out in the public. So I don't know if he would kill again, but it's almost like he doesn't trust himself. Yeah. 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 
either that or probably mostly that, but also just like how he like has uh acclimated to life in prison and um feels like he's in a good place in his life like you know with having some small responsibilities and feeling included Mm -hmm. in things and stuff like that in prison yeah and like I said, he's a model prisoner. Everyone likes him. Everyone gets along with him. Um, he's 73 years old right now, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he gets three meals in a bed and he's 73. So how is he going to adapt Right at this point? And he has no family. So yeah. that would want him. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Kemper alongside, so that he's also like featured in pop culture, which we all are very well aware of. Um, Kemper alongside Ed Gein were used as the inspiration for the character of Buffalo Bill in the Silence of the Lambs novel and then the movie. Um, Dean Koontz cited Kemper as an inspiration for the character Edgler Vess in the 1996 novel Intensity. Um, in the movie American Psycho, the character Patrick Bateman says, quote, you know what Ed Gein said about women? He said, when I see a pretty girl walking down the street, I think two things. One part of me wants to take her out, talk to her, be real nice and sweet and treat her right. The other part wonders what her head would look like on a stick. They mistakenly said Gein in the movie that mm-hmm. that was a Gein quote, but we now know it was Kemper. Yeah. Um, and he's been featured in dozens of other movies, TV shows, books, him and his likeness, um, and even songs over the years. There are songs about Ed Kemper. There are quite a few hmm. songs that mention him or that are about him. Really? Are yeah. they f- from all different genres or is there? Um, I would say mainly they're like hip hop, R&B, rock, metal, that type of thing. Okay, I was going to guess, like, punk or something. Yeah, I would say that falls into, like, the rock metal category, that overarching category. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't thinking it was going to be easy listening, so. No, no, Kenny G isn't busting out some Kemper tunes. right. (laughs) The Carpenters, the Osmonds. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Ariana Grande is not singing about Ed Kemper. No. Oh, you know, you know what? No. Uh, Katy Perry has a song where they mention Dahmer. Yeah, Katy Perry has a song where the the rapper in it mentions uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, I don't remember that one. Hold on. Perry, Jeffrey, Dahmer. Um, it is the song Dark Horse. Oh. And uh, she eats your heart out like Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay. Is what he says. Yep. Nope. Maybe yeah. I do remember that one. So maybe there is some type of pop song who mentions him. I don't know. That song, didn't that song come out when we were in hair school? Oh, when did this come out? 2013. So just after. Beauty just school. after. Yeah. Just after. Yeah. That's a good song. I like it. I'm not a huge Katy Perry fan, but I do like that song. The music video is very um, different. Katy Perry's very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not a, yeah, not a huge Katy Perry fan. I'll just say that. Right. Um, A.K.A. Jean-Benet. Yeah, Jean-Benet Ramsey. Yeah. (laughs) What a weird thing. So I would say it is safe to say that uh, overall, 
Ed, at this point, is getting exactly what he wanted out of all of this, which is infamy. And uh, that is the story of Ed Kemper. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know all that. I started watching Mindhunter, and I, I haven't watched it all, and... I'm probably going I will to say now. that. The, yeah, he, the actor who plays. So what I would tell you guys to do two things, three things, maybe. So the actor who plays Ed Kemper on Mindhunter, his script, the script that he has is exactly what Ed said. They just took the transcript from Ed's interviews. And that's what the guy is saying in the oh, TV show. That's cool. First off. Second, compare images to Ed Kemper in real life and the guy who plays Ed spinning fucking image and his voice even sounds like him Uh uh-huh it is wild yeah it is just wild I might start watching that again too the show starts off really slow I feel like um but it gets better and better as you watch it and then you're gonna start recognizing Richard Speck is in it they talk about Richard Speck in it um BTK they're gonna start bringing up all of these serial killers and when you look up the serial killers in real life compared to the ones in the tv show they did a really good job casting it that's awesome that always helps yeah it's pretty cool yeah yeah it's pretty cool it's a good show um it's it's it it does the book it does with the book as well. Like in the book, they don't really talk about their personal lives. There's more personal lives in the TV show, but they like touch on it. Um, yeah, guys, thank you for listening. I know two parter is a, a love or a hate thing because you want all of your information at once, but uh, we appreciate you listening to part two of Ed Kemper. And if there's another heavy hitter that you want us to cover, feel free and let us know on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Or email us at contact at Perfect Stranglers and let us know. Yeah, please do. And we'll catch you on the flip-flop. Catch you on the (laughs) flip-flop. Bye, guys. See you next Thursday. Bye, everyone.